Welcome to another episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. On this episode, we welcome special guest Ryan, who is the author of the popular blog, Undersaved and Overweight. As always, we will conclude the episode by talking about some of the stuff we love. Let's meet the hosts. I'm Scott. I'm Jack. I'm Joe. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love podcast. Welcome to Stuff We Love podcast. We are pleased to be joined tonight by a special guest. Ryan is the author of the blog, Undersaved and Overweight. Undersaved and Overweight is a wellness community that aims to provide readers with the knowledge and encouragement to tackle two of the biggest epidemics we face today, undersaving and obesity. The statistics on these subjects are scary. Roughly two-thirds of American adults are overweight with a BMI of 25 or more, and almost 40% are considered obese. On the financial side of things, 70% of American adults have less than $1,000 in savings, and 63% are unable to pay for an unexpected expense of $500. The goal of undersaved and overweight is to help readers make better choices to get closer to living a life in accordance with their true values. As I mentioned earlier, Ryan is the author of the blog and the creator of the community, and we are pleased to welcome him to the podcast. Hello, Ryan. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for being here. So, Ryan, why don't we start um, our discussion tonight by having you tell us what made you actually start Undersaved and Overweight? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been a financial advisor for the last 15 years or so, uh, and in particular, working with high net worth clients. Um, you know, I should also mention that, that I write this blog under an anonymous pen, uh, not to be mysterious or anything along those lines, but it's more I'm still a practic practicing financial advisor and uh, I have an agreement with the company that, you know, given the fact that, that these representations might not be uh, one that the company would necessarily want, that, uh, that I'll do this on an anonymous format. Um, so with that, you know, the, the vast majority of my clients I would call in the ultra high net worth space. And what I mean by that is investable assets of 10, 15, 20 million. And mm -hmm. yeah, I noticed around, you know, five or six years ago, that you know, friends and family members who weren't necessarily considered you know, high net worth, but were very much in the wealth building mode, were asking me for for financial advice. And you know, of course, I was happy to give it and happy to to help out. But but then I actually I looked in the mirror and I I looked at myself and my own financial situation. And I said, you know, things aren't bad, but I could be doing a lot better myself, right? And while I do a good job for my clients. That that I'm I'm neglecting you know what I should be doing in terms of building my wealth for uh, for for my wife and I, so I, I really started to think about okay well how how can we how can we get better at this and how can we make better choices, and started to make some progress and at the same time I I noticed that when I, I started to devote more time and energy into being a better consumer and and building again financial wealth that um, I also wanted to to get better physically. And it, it, there's nothing wrong necessarily, but I just didn't feel like my, my best self from a physical standpoint. And I, I kind of took the same approach and the same behaviors to really start eating better and start exercising more and, and starting to see real results. And I thought it was interesting that, that one followed the other. And as I started mentoring people, uh, then people would start saying, well, hey, what are you doing? Because you just lost a lot of weight. What are you doing? in terms of diet and exercise. And, and I would start giving advice kind of in both areas. And it, it was so interesting that I, I can't tell you how many people, when, when they started on one, the next one followed, right? If people were saying, hey, I wanna get better from a financial perspective, not too long after that, that they would say, hey, you know, I'm actually starting to lose weight and, and starting to pay more attention to this area too, and vice versa. 
so you know again as, as I started you know mentoring more people and, and getting questions I was really looking at resources of what people could go to and just doing some research I wasn't really finding anything that I really liked so I took the approach of creating it myself so I've been writing this blog now for around seven months and it's been really rewarding uh, I've gotten some nice feedback and and it's nice to know that it's really making a, a difference in people's lives I definitely try to to include posts that, that do have some details and what I'll call some technical details in terms of uh, helping people invest, save, and then also uh, diet and exercise better. But but I, I don't think it, the thing that's holding people back isn't necessarily a, the, the fact that they don't have capacity to, to learn how to invest or to learn how to, to diet or exercise the right way. It's really the what I'll call the barriers, the, the, the psychological barriers, as well as the societal barriers that I think really hold people back. And, you know, so what do I mean by that? In that I, I feel like we are a society today that really does prioritize uh, short-term gratification at the expense of, of long-term well-being. And, you know, as I was thinking about this the other day, it was amazing. There was actually an advertisement on my screen for a luxury car. And the tagline was instant gratification, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I, I think then the next is really this constant pursuit of pleasure that we're into. And that as we become a society that is, is just uh, demanding more convenience, we're a society that is, is really just in constant pursuit of pleasure. And I think at the expense of finding things that are really truly, truly meaningful to us. And then the last one is just fear, fear of loss in particular. Mm-hmm. And again, these are the psychological barriers. And then just w- whether it's marketing, advertising, the news, whatever it may be, it, it society knows how to exploit these various behaviors to get us consumed in a way that really isn't healthy, both from a uh, uh, financial perspective as well as from a, a, a health perspective. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, now, one of my favorite blog posts on undersaved and overweight is called The Change Equation. And the reason I like it is because it speaks to struggles that many people, including myself, have in terms of implementing alterations to their lifestyle and sticking with those changes. And for example, what I was thinking is somebody who begins a diet, does well eating wise, and then one day eats poorly and feels dejected about the whole dieting process. You address that in your post, The Change Equation, but I was hoping you might be able to offer advice to listeners who are seeking to lose weight but are having trouble sticking with the diet plan they have created and how they respond sometimes if they eat something that's off the plan and they feel like the whole effort is lost. Yeah, no, it, it's a good question. So the change equation is is a, a poster a couple months ago. And effectively, the equation is, I say, C equals A plus B, which is change equals accountability plus belief. So it really, in order for anyone to make a change, I think the first step is to taking accountability and to show that, hey, something's wrong and it's up to me to change this, right? But you also have to have belief that you can change it. And that's the, that's the harder part, in my opinion. And it, you know, in the post, I kind of break it down into how can, you, how can you have belief that you can actually take accountability and make the change? And a big part of this is, you know, number one, is breaking big goals into a series of smarter goals. Um, whether it's losing weight or, or whether it's, it's building wealth, um, it's going to take a really long time, right? So instead of saying, hey, you know, I, I'm going to benchmark myself to uh, someone who's in a, the ultra high net worth space, or if I'm going to benchmark myself to a, you know, a, a professional athlete, um, you're just going to set yourself up for failure. 
So set shorter term achievable goals. But then the next part is just be kind to yourself, right? And know that you're not going to be perfect and don't let a small setback turn into bigger setbacks. So yeah, I, I wrote another post called The Long Run. And that was, so there was a long run part one and a long run part two, where part one was about building wealth and part two was about um, dieting and exercise. And it, really the kind of the general gist of it is take a long-term approach. And, and I use an example of travel where, you know, think about uh, a destination that you really want to go to, right? So think about Bora Bora, Tahiti, something like that, right? Whatever your equivalent is to, to um, uh, just the kind of the perfect vacation. Now, you don't just close your eyes and all of a sudden arrive there, right? You have to take a series of steps. So you have to research where do you want to go? You've got to, you know, potentially save up to build up, a, you know, the budget to, to pay for the trip. You've got to go, you've got to book a flight, you've got to research hotels, you got to know what you want to do. And then you have to take the steps of, okay, getting to the airport, getting through security, then boarding the flight, and maybe there's a, a connecting flight. And then you get to your destination, you got to get your bags, you got to get in the cab, and then finally you're there, right? But it's not just one thing that gets you there, right? It's the series of steps that ultimately gets you to your final destination. And I think dieting is the same thing where it's not just one thing where you say, I'm going to take a diet, I want to get healthier. And all of a sudden you snap your fingers and you're there, right? Mm -hmm. It's a series of steps and each step is really important. Now with that, when you travel, let's say you get to the airport and you get through the security line and next thing you know, you're hit with a major delay. That happens, okay? You don't just cancel your flight and you just, you don't say, okay, well, I'm not going anymore, right? It's the same thing with dieting, right? You think about this long-term trip. It's going to take a while to get there. And you know, every now and then you, you're at the office and you're in a meeting and you're held captive for three hours and there's nothing but bad food to eat. That's okay. Don't let one bad decision that you're forced into cause you to completely abandon your plan. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, you, know, you, you have a Super Bowl party to go to. You have a birthday party to go to. You have a family event to go to. Don't let these small setbacks turn into bigger setbacks. Don't cancel your entire trip because you've hit one small delay. Unless you don't actually want to go to the party, so then it's your excuse. Knowing they're going to have <laughs> exactly. that food. If you don't want to go, you got a reason. That's right. You can't be around that food. That's it's right. bad for you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I, I think we just need to be kind to ourselves, right? And, and again, just focus on the long term and just know it's a series of steps and, and don't let one small setback delay the entire process. Ryan, that was a great answer and I really appreciate that because that's something that I have struggled with over the years. My weight has fluctuated and I often find myself, if I have a cheat meal or two, it gets me feeling down. I'm like, oh, the day is lost or something like that. But your comparison of weight loss to the idea of a traveling journey I think is very applicable and something our listeners can easily wrap their head around. So that's very helpful. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Jack? And uh, yeah, just one point I heard while you're listening, Ryan, uh, what you're talking about with weight loss, and I think this is why your blog fits so well, it's not only for weight loss, it can be for budgeting, like you were saying, too. Like, it's the same thing there. If you accidentally make a poor purchase you shouldn't have made, doesn't mean you, like, lose your whole uh, saving routine. You should still stick to it just because you got a little bit of a setback. So I, I just think it's really interesting how the two things work really well uh, together. That's why probably your blog has faced so much success. And speaking about that, I just had a question less on substance and more on the blog itself. So how did you really start the blog? So for anyone who's interested themselves in creating a platform like you've created, how did you start the blog? How did you like find your community where people were reading your content? How did you really like branch out to find your space? What was that process like? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. And I can tell you, 
if you would have told me two years ago that I'm going to have a blog, uh, I would have told you you're crazy, right? I am the least tech savvy person you've ever met in your life. I have no idea how to code. I had no idea how to how to start a, a, a blog or even just build a website. Um, so part of that was, and it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's not too dissimilar to the, the approach and discipline that I've taken to, again, physically be my best and then, and then financially be my best. And it's just, it's, it's not just what you want, but it's also what are you willing to commit to? And this was something that I felt very passionately about. And I really wanted to do it through a lens of service and, and to help people. And I was committed to learning how to do this. So I can tell you, it, it was a lot of hours after work and on the weekends watching YouTube videos and actually reading other blogs to kind of figure out how to set this thing up. Um, so fortunately, there's so many resources out there, right? I mean, not only just the blogs and, and the websites to, to help you set up a blog, but also, you know, I, the, the host I use is Bluehost and, um, and I partner with WordPress and they have really good customer s support teams as well. So, I mean, I was on the phone with them a lot and you know, I, I wasn't afraid to show my vulnerability and say, I have no clue what I'm talking about here. I am a total novice. And, and again, it took a while, but it was just it was just a series of steps and being committed to the process. Um, and now and then once I got up and running, I mean, it, it's moving right from from just an infrastructure standpoint. So now it's really easy for me to go in and to, to kind of make adjustments on on the on the site and to update posts, etc. Um, in terms of growing an audience. You know, number one, it was you know friends and family were the ones that were initially interested in it. But then number two, I had some uh, friends of mine just kind of posted on LinkedIn, uh, other people on Facebook. Uh, I have a, a friend who's doing a startup in in the health space, and it was um, uh, you know again kind of what we were doing really helped each other out. It was mutually beneficial for me to recommend his brand, which I did in, in one of my posts. It's a it's a beverage called Recoup. Um, it's an all natural, uh, it's an all natural ginger based beverage. And I would highly recommend any, anyone, um, anyone go to the, go to the store, go to the website and get it. it. It's really quite good. And it fits within my overall brand and, and, and image. And he felt that understanding the overweight was very consistent with what he wanted to, to promote. So he went to his community and said, Hey, this is a really interesting blog. You guys should read it. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Ryan, what do you do about content and posting schedules and all of that? I mean, I, you know, we love your blog. I, I read, actually, I read every post. I went back and read the whole thing again just to, oh, thank you. to look at this, of course. And, you know, I was just thinking there's a regular posting schedule. You have content and it's not just a paragraph. It's, you know, these posts are real posts and, and take thought and time to do it. So how do you keep up the schedule for that? Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. Actually, that's it's a it's a good question because that's actually the second part of it is that um, look, in, in order to put out any sort of content out there, you got to do it on a consistent basis, right? I mean, if you do it, you know, one time and then you don't do it again for another seven or eight weeks, people forget about you. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes back to to making a commitment. So I I really committed to doing it once a week, and every Wednesday night I put out a new post and. Uh, again, that's where the, the vast majority of my readers now, and I was actually, I, I got a note from someone the other day that was uh, talking about how helpful this has been for them and said that they look forward every Thursday morning uh, when they get to work to open up the, the newest post. So it's really nice to have that community and now have that sense of accountability where it's, hey, people are actually looking forward to reading this Thursday morning, um, so I have to put it out Wednesday night. Um, so it's one of those things where when you when you commit to it and then you have that level of accountability, 
um, you have to do it. So if it's a busy weekend and then I get in Monday morning and um, swamped at work and then it comes into Tuesday, it's like at some point in time, I have to say, all right, I'm coming home and I'm blocking time out and I'm writing this post. And, you know, I'll, I'll say in, in terms of, of the contents, um, I'm constantly coming up with things. Uh, what I'll do is I'll just kind of log it down. I'll write a note to myself. And like I said, I'm not very savvy. So a lot of this is just writing down on a pad of paper that I keep or, or sending myself an email. But I definitely have a backlog of things that I want to write about. And I try to mix it up, too, with having um, a technical piece that I'll call it, right, where it's everything from uh, how to budget, how to actually imp implement your investing plan, um, whether you should rent or buy real estate, et cetera. And then I'll do things that are more, I'll call it behavioral, right? Where I'll talk about something like the change equation, or I did a whole piece on, on pain. So, so pain, it's funny. I, I wrote that when I was running a marathon, <laughs> right? I wrote it in my head and, and it was one of those things where, you know, I was just kind of using, you know, training for a marathon and running a marathon as a metaphor for, you know, saving financially as, as well as, as diet and exercise. So a lot of it was just, it could be on a run. It could be on a commute to work. It could be. I'm watching TV and I see something and I just jot it down and I say, okay, well, I'm either going to write that this week or that's going to be part of my backlog for the next couple of weeks. And we are going to link nice. on our website and on our social media accounts to the Undersaved and Overweight blog. And there's a place that you can enter your email address to subscribe. I know I did that. I believe we've all done that. And I do enjoy getting those posts on Thursday morning. So thank you, Ryan. Yeah, so Ryan, I was uh, doing some research on the internet and on the website nerdwallet.com, it said that as of December 2018, the average U.S. household had an estimated approximately $7,000 in credit card debt. And only 1 in 11 people said they think they would ever be free of credit card debt. In that same article, it stated that incomes are growing, but some costs are growing faster. These include medical costs and food purchased away from the house. So given the number of people in this country that have credit card debt and the high interest rates they're paying on that debt, what advice can you offer to those people as to how they can reduce the credit card debt and hopefully not add too much more? So uh, l let me go to the other side of the ledger here and actually talk about um, kind of the physical health, right? Mm -hmm. In that it's really easy to tell when someone isn't their best from a physical standpoint, right? When someone is consuming too much and and they're overweight, right? You can see it. You can see it in their waistline, and and it's something that you know. If that's you. You can you know see it in the mirror. You can see it in in your clothes, and you ultimately know that that something needs to change. Well, the equivalent to that on the financial side is credit card debt, right? And it's one of those things where you don't necessarily see it walking around every day, and you can't tell. But that is the financial equivalent of having a waistline that's gotten out of control, because that is really the number one killer, being credit card debt. Um, and, and I know the numbers and, and they're scary. Think about it, right? So what causes someone to have a, a waistline that's bigger than it should be? It's overconsumption. Well, what causes someone to have a higher credit card debt than they should, which any credit card debt is higher than you should, it's overconsumption, right? So the exact same thing. You know, the issue then is, okay, well, is the overconsumption on the financial side, is that something that, that can be avoided? And I want to say that, yeah, that I have a lot of compassion in, in my blog for people that suffer from, from again, either uh, issues regarding physical fitness or financial fitness. This blog, I hope in this community is really to say, hey, this is not to be perfect. And, and we know that people are going through real struggles out there. And I think with credit card debt, I, I think that part of that is a function of there are certain 
areas of our life that have gotten more expensive and, and incomes haven't necessarily gone up depending on, on what you're doing. But at the same time, I, I will say, I think we've become a society that is so focused on consumption. And I think that all of us, right? I think the vast majority of people that are sitting on credit card debt, they really could look at themselves in the mirror and say, this is a function of overspending. And so that then leads to, okay, on the physical side, well, how do you improve the issue with your waistline? Well, it's a function of diet and exercise. Okay, well, on the financial side, it's a form of diet, which is called a budget. And people have a really hard time with budgets, right? It feels constricting. People don't like to be constricted. So I like to take a different approach to budgeting, right? And as a, it's, instead of it being something that's constricting, think about it as prioritizing your values, right? So an exercise that I go through and I recommend that everybody goes through is to go through each month, right? For the next three to six months and write down every single expense, every single one of them. If as, you're buying as, a you, as you of, go through them, as you incur them? As you go through them, mm -hmm. as you incur them, right? Mm -hmm. So every day, just go in and log down every single, it, it, it does take a little bit of work, but it's an exercise that's worth it. You mm -hmm. buy a, a pack of gum for 99 cents, you put it on there. And you can categorize it, you can basically divide it up between food, household expenses, etc. And then what I would do at the end of the month, take a look at how much you're spending, and then look at each line item and say, well, how much do I value that purchase? So I, I went through this exercise myself, and I noticed that there's a number of subscription services that I was getting zero value from, right? And I could say, all right, well, I'm, I'm cutting this out. It helped save me on a monthly basis, and my life was no worse off. <laughs> and I can tell you that, that and, and again, it's one of those things where it's not up to me or anyone else to tell you what your value should be. So people come to me all the time and say, oh, well, I spent my money on, on X. Is that bad? I, I wouldn't do that, but I'm not telling you that you, you shouldn't do that. And there's things that I spend my money on that, that you're not going to find valuable. So, so for me, it's really helped me to find, okay, what's my value statement, right? What do I really value and what do I not value? For example, I really like traveling, right? So I've, I set aside a certain travel budget every single month. And when I went through this exercise, I noticed that my wife and I were ordering out a little too much, right? And, and we were going out to eat on random nights of the week at restaurants that were actually really not that memorable. So we decided, you know what? We're not gonna do that anymore. And we're gonna save $60 on a Tuesday night. And instead, I'm just gonna make a commitment to go gro grocery shopping more often and make food at home. It has saved a considerable amount of money. So it's a long-winded way to answer your question, but I, I really think that at the end of the day, if, if you're someone who's suffering from credit card debt and you're in that cycle, that at the end of the day, it does come down to a consumption issue and you have to figure out how to curb that consumption. Thank you. You know, thank that. You. thanks, Ryan. That's actually a great answer. And it just shows how, the, how your blog dovetails between financial planning and weight loss and things like that, because that doing a budget every month and seeing what you spend is similar to like a food blog or a food diary where you write down everything you eat. So you see what is worth it and what's not. And, and I found that that helps a lot also. So I, I mean, I, I think that uh, that works great. No, absolutely. I had a question as a young person. I'm very gradually being introduced to saving and money management. And I was wondering what were like the base tips you'd give me as I kind of progressed through college and then more into graduate school and my professional life. If there'd be any like base tips uh, you could give me to like save money, money management, what would they be? Yeah, I mean, I would say number one is especially as someone as, uh, who, who's young, who's just starting out, is to start investing early. Right. I think that's that's number one. The, the power of compounding and the earlier you start, you're going to be so much better off 
than someone who's getting a start in, in their mid thirties, early forties. That's not to say that if you're in your mid thirties, early forties, and you haven't gotten started yet, that you shouldn't, you definitely should. But as a young person, I can't stress enough that when, when you graduate from college and get your first job to make sure that you sign up for your company's 401k, right? That you're at least getting up to the match of, of what your employer is, uh, is offering to match up to, right? Except now you're just giving away free money. I think that's a number one mistake I see people make is that they graduate from college, they start a new job, they get into just the cycle of consumption and they're not saving at all. And even if it's something as simple and as automatic as a 401k plan. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's also important to, again, especially at a, at a young age, is to really think about it. It's kind of the same thing I was mentioning before. It's just really think about your values. The earlier you can think about it, the less you're gonna waste on things. I, I, I think back to you know my, my uh, early 20s, whether it's in college or right after college, I think back at the things that I wasted my money on um, that added zero value to my life. And I wish I could have gone. I mean, I, obviously, you can't go back. But if, if I could go back, I would say to just be more, more mindful and, and to be more deliberate in your spending. Sticking with the financial uh, management aspect, Ryan, what would you say is the best way for someone without a financial background who has no knowledge of what you were just talking about, like no knowledge of getting into investing, getting into you know, doing these things, how would they learn about handling their own finances? You know, you go to school, there's really no classes yeah. or not many classes, especially in, you know, in, some, in certain states about what you should do, how do you, you know, get into fiscal management and things like that. Um, so if you were just starting out, what's the one piece of advice that you would have for these new investors, I'll say, or just anybody? Mm -hmm. uh, don't be scared of it. It's the, the financial industry, I think, has done an incredible job making it more complicated than it has to be, right? It, it, it really isn't as hard as it seems. There's a lot of jargon and there's a lot of people, especially early on in their careers, that, that want to impress with you with how smart they are, right? So they're going to use words and terms that are going to make you feel intimidated and, and make it feel like, wow, this, this is something that, oh, I'm not good at math, so I can't be an investor. That is completely wrong, right? It, it, it you know shows it's okay to show some vulnerability and it's okay to not know, and really truly challenge people who are you know kind of mentors or peers of yours that that are a bit more uh, financially savvy and, and and ask them to explain it to you in in real English. Number two, you know I do think there are blogs out there. Again, I'll I'll give a plug plug for my own, but there, there's a lot of really good resources out there. That, that make it very easy to understand. And look, at the end of the day, I mean, I can just give kind of a quick tutorial here. Um, when people talk about the stock market, when you buy a stock, right, you are an owner in a company, okay? And you will benefit if that company grows. And at the same time, uh, if that company goes out of business, your stock is gonna be worthless. So investing in the stock market or in a stock can be risky, right? You can get the next Amazon, but you can also get the next pets.com or the next blockbuster or circuit city, right? Or whatever it may be. So a, a way to spread out the risk when you're in stock investor is to invest in a number of different companies, right? So not being overexposed to just Apple and Facebook, but to have a whole basket of companies that you own. And a way that, that everyday people do that, myself included, is through what's called a mutual fund. And what a mutual fund is essentially is that they take money from all of us and on behalf of the collection of us, that company then goes out and buys companies to own, right? And you, as a result, are an owner of, you know, call it 400, 500 companies. 
And so, so that, that's what a mutual fund is, right? It's basically a collection of people that have hired a company to go out and, and to buy stocks on their behalf. Going a step further, um, there are, are, are companies that, in, that, that go out and basically buy what's called an index. And for example, there's a, an index called the S&P 500. And all it is is a collection of the biggest 500 companies. And there are mutual fund companies out there that just own all 500 companies. It's a really cheap and easy way to get access. And basically, if you are a, an owner of an S&P 500 mutual fund, you're essentially invested alongside the growth of the economy over the long term. And that is the best way to do it, hands down. And it ends there, right? So you don't need to be a financial genius to just go and buy an S&P 500 mutual fund and just hold it forever, mm-hmm. right? Or contribute a couple hundred dollars or even if it's $50 a month to, to the mutual fund and just hold it over time. Um, so it, it, at the end of the day, I think it's really just kind of cutting through the jargon and just really get to the bottom of what does it mean to be an investor and what does it mean to be a saver? Cool. Great. Ryan, I had one more question for you, but one thing just popped into my head. I was hoping you could quickly address what is the general advice you give people as to how much they should have on hand by way of savings for a backup emergency? Yeah, I, I would say have six months of living expenses. Six months of living expenses. Yeah, very minimum three, but I would say build up to three to six months. Okay. Uh, my, my question is this. In a recent entry on Undersaved and Overweight, uh, you spoke of what it means to live with fear. Uh, this is fear that can pertain to finances, job security, and even a fear of success. How can the concept of fear be a motivating factor for someone looking to implement health and monetary changes in his or her personal life? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think the reason I wrote that post is because I just talking to people that it, it's very clear that one of the number one things that holds them back is fear, fear of not being knowledgeable enough when it comes to investing, um, fear of not being successful with it, right? And, and, and having to abandon the plan. And I think there's also, I, I write in the blog post, fear of success. I, I think there's genuinely a fear that uh, of, of what if this works, right? And, and I think a fear of, going through it and completely changing what you're used to. I mean, if you're making a change in your life, that's scary. So the reason I wrote that post is to say, it's okay to be scared, right? And the only way that you're gonna be able to make progress is to get comfortable with fear and face the fear. And I I talk a lot about in that post and that fear is faced by both the hero as well as the coward. So, you know, you think about anyone in a story of, uh, any heroic story that you hear, and th- that person, it, the, the, it's not an absence of, of fear, it's a facing of the fear. So I think in order to make a true change in commitment, you've got to be willing to stare the fear in the face. So one thing I often talk about with, with people who are in credit card debt and, and you know, just kind of financially just in a complete mess, and when they say, well, what should I do? I, my first piece of advice is look at it right in the face and write it all down and actually see where you are. And it's going to be really scary to say, wow, I'm $10,000 in credit card debt, and I can't afford a $500 surprise. That's really scary. But guess what? Whether or not you look at it in the face or not, it's still going to be there. So you might as well just look at it and accept it. And you know, the thing that all of us need to realize is that we're so much stronger than our fears. Mm-hmm. So it's really the only way that you're going to be able to get in a better position, whether it's through, whether it's, again, whether it's weight or whether it's, it's financially, is to look at it, what is really holding you back and what's scaring you, and to to just look at it and, and know that you have the confidence to beat it. Thank you, Ryan. 
So, Ryan, going back to what you said before about, um, you know, recommending three to six months in savings and then for an emergency fund. And then there's people who, that we were just talking about who have $10,000 in credit card debt. What is more important in your mind? Do you, do, would you counsel these people to pay down their credit card debt first or to build up that savings first for the emergency? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It's funny you say that because it's, it's something that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to be writing a blog post in the future about kind of what are the steps to financial fitness. And to, to your point, when should you be saving six months of emergencies and paying down credit card debt? And I think in, in terms of the orders of operation, that absolutely, if you have credit card debt, pay that down. Okay? So think about the interest rate as the cost of money. So you are borrowing from somebody else. In exchange, you are paying interest for the right to have their money. Okay? Um, credit card debt is the highest interest out there. So if you have $5,000 in credit card debt, it might cost you $1,000 a year to hold that credit card debt. Mm-hmm. So just think about that. That is so expensive, right? So instead of saving up $5,000 in the savings account that's going to pay you very little interest, get the credit card debt down first. So that's really kind of the first step is to pay down your credit card debt. And then once you kind of build the habits, because think about it, right? If you have $5,000 in credit card debt, it's going to take deliberate action in order to pay that down in a timely fashion. So once you pay it down, just keep using that that same discipline and that same momentum in order to build up a savings account. Um, I, I tell you that w- once you make a commitment and once you really put a plan in place, even if it's going to take you ten months to do it, you, you're going to get there, right? But the only way you can get there is if you if you start right now. And I say that one thing that that I would look into, um, and I've seen people do this, and and I think it's overwhelmingly good, but there's also a trap is that there are opportunities to do what's called a balance transfer. And that's mm-hmm. a, effectively, let's say you have a couple of credit cards with $5,000 in credit card debt, is there'll be offers where you can get a new credit card, right, where there's no debt on it, and you can transfer your balance, usually for an introductory rate of, call it, 5% for a year, okay? So you're taking, 20, you're taking debt that you're paying 20% on, and you're transferring it to a card where you're paying 5% on right? So that's good because you're lowering that cost of money. The trap that people get into is you typically pay it a 5% upfront. So you prepay it for 12 months and then you forget about it. So everything else gets free and clear and you say, okay, I cleaned up all these cards. I have a year to pay off this other card. And then you go into the same habits that got you Mm -hmm. in trouble in the first place. So I think if you're someone who's going to do that, I, I don't think it's a bad move to consolidate your debt to a lower interest, I think that's definitely a smart move. But but that's not a license to continue the same habits that got you in this issue in the first place and to forget about that because you consolidated it. So what is your opinion then of, I don't know if you've heard about this, but you know, there's like the new fad called churning credit cards, points, you know, just kind of getting all these different credit cards. Some people have 20 or 30 cards just to get these bonuses. As a financial planner, I'm sure that's not the, the best thing you would tell them to do. But So what is your opinion of this? I mean, I'm already thinking of future blog posts that I could read from you on the stuff. Yeah. Like this, so. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, um, yeah, you, you definitely want to be careful of applying for too much credit, right? Because number one, it definitely you know, could help hurt your credit score. If, if you have anything that's encouraging you or giving you license to consume more, it's probably not a good idea. I think we all need to kind of put more constraints on, on ourselves. I can tell you, I, I have four credit cards. Right. So why do I have four credit cards? Um, I got them for all different purposes throughout, you know, the last 20 years or so. Um, and quite frankly, I don't need any more. 
but and they all come with decent offers and and points and bonuses it's you know I, again i get offers thrown at me all the time for the newest latest and greatest card um but 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 really i just i don't need any more cards to manage right now i think it, it, it's also too one of those things where you know oftentimes those offers come with a, a minimum spend um, and yep. that just administratively becomes so burdensome where you have 30 cards out there that all have a balance and, and it just makes it easy to forget about it. And if you miss a payment, I mean, that could be really damaging to your credit score. Yeah, no, cancel all my credit cards right now. <laughs> yeah, no, again, it's, 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 it's something that's, it's something that's definitely scary, but again, I would encourage everyone to face the fear. You're so much stronger than the fear. And, and I tell you, if, if you've made mistakes up to this point, it's fine. It's already happened. Just, just be yourself going forward from today. Ryan, this has really been fascinating for all of us this evening. Uh, I really want to give another plug for Undersaved and Overweight. It is a tremendous blog. Uh, I think that everyone, regardless of their financial status and their health status, can get something out of it. So please check it out online. Subscribe to it. As I mentioned before, we're going to give links to it. And I think you'll really all get something out of it. So this was tremendously helpful, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys. Thank you. Ryan. Hey, I should also give you guys a quick plug. Um, as I mentioned, I like to travel and I was traveling recently and, uh, your interview with Mr. Manners came in handy because, <laughs> uh, I was, uh, I, I was always thinking about a hotel room. Well, you know, what's the best thing to do from a, a tipping perspective when it comes to the maids. And I now know that you're supposed to tip every single day, not a big one at the end. Yep. So I, I encourage anyone who's listening to this to go back and listen to Mr. Manners. It will definitely help you out. I have thought about that comment by Mr. Manners every single day I'm in a hotel. <laughs> right. And yeah, I, I see the maids in the hallway, and if I didn't leave a tip that day, I don't even make eye contact with them if I can avoid it. <laughs> I just give a quick hello, walk by. <laughs> then I then I get in my Uber where I think about what did Mr. Manor say about how you deal with Ubers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You always have to get in the back seat, right? The, uh, the front seat's their sanctuary. <laughs> when, when Joe picks me up for my ride, I say, hello, Joe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Ryan, thanks again. Uh, we're going to now turn it over to the Stuff We Love segment, which is the part of the show where each of us will tell you something we are enjoying right now. could be a movie, a book, a song, an app. And I guess uh, let's start it off tonight with Mr. Jack. So um, my product for this week's uh, episode is the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. So I'm very late to this party after almost three months after uh, it first, first came out. I saw the movie last night, and I've always been a big fan of Queen, and I really, really enjoyed it. It's got a 61% score on Rotten Tomatoes, which I felt was unfairly low. Um, it's got an 88% audience score, which I thought was a lot more accurate to how the movie does. In my experience with Rotten Tomatoes, and we've spoken about this in the podcast, typically the audience score for me is a better indicator of how good the movie is, more so than the critic score, because, I mean, some of the critics' complaints were all these, like, complex, uh, they were taking, like, social stances on the movies, and just in terms of an actually good movie, I really enjoyed it. I thought it gave a great glimpse into Freddie Mercury's life. Obviously can't be super, like, a documentary because you only have two hours, and it's made by his former bandmates. Uh, but I really enjoyed the movie. Just in terms of how the movie did, uh, it racked up over $213 million domestically and over a whopping $647 million internationally, uh, coming to a total of $860 million. So the movie did super well. And I thought one of the movies, one of the reasons the movie was so successful, obviously aside from the music, which is going to be a huge driving force in a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody, 
I thought the actors were just really, really strong. All the actors looked, especially if you look at uh, Brian May's character, he looked exactly like him. And so it just made the movie that much more believable. And it really made you feel like you were watching Queen when they were young and not just like a cover band make a movie about Queen. So for those reasons, I thought the movie was really authentic. Um, and I really enjoyed the movie. Obviously, with the great music, it's pretty hard to to not really uh, enjoy to see. Bohemian Rhapsody was a great, great movie. I loved it. So definitely... Uh Good call, Jack. Joe? So I will talk about an album I have been playing on repeat. And I say the word album a little loosely, um, but it is Ariana Grande's latest album, Thank You, Next. This, in my opinion right now, is the best current pop album out. When you think of Ariana Grande, you might think of just, you know, a little little girl basically just singing uh, for teenagers. But if you look at the album, you listen to the words. It's actually really a lot of serious subject matter. The songs are great. They're catchy. They've been in my head for a week, two weeks now since the album came out. I say this with, without any sense of joking. I love the album, and I will uh, continue to listen to it. It's awesome. So Ariana Grande, thank you, next. And it's, it's amazing. Well, I, Joe, I have to say I completely agree with you. I've been listening to that album nonstop, too. And my favorite track on the album is the song NASA. You know NASA? Great song. Great song. Okay. So Ariana Grande, Thank You, Next is a tremendous album. Break Up With Your Girlfriend is also an amazing song. <laughs> I love that. So it's a great album closer. Great album so, closer. So uh, that is definitely uh, my, my, the stuff I love this week. Okay. So for my stuff we love, I want to mention an app, which I have on my iPhone, my iPad, and my streaming devices. Uh, I'm a big movie fan, as all of you know. I particularly like classic movies, and Turner Classic Movies has an amazing app. It's called Watch TCM. They constantly change the movies that they have in their vault, so you can log in every day and might, may see something new. They have descriptions of the movies you're seeing. You could read about the cast, read about the backstories of the films. Uh, it's really a great app, well-organized. You could even search by actor. So let's say you want to see what Frank Sinatra movies they have. And I just realized our podcast talked about Ariana Grande and Frank Sinatra within a five-minute span, <laughs> which is great. That's why it's a great podcast. But yeah. um, you, you, type in, <laughs> you type in Frank Sinatra, and it'll show you what's on there. So I really love this app uh, for watching classic movies. And, of course, if you have a cable subscription as well, you can watch a live feed from the East Coast and the West Coast broadcast of Turner Classic Movies, which is really awesome. cool. So that is my stuff we love. And let's turn it over to you, Ryan. I am really into True Detective Season 3 right now. If you guys haven't seen it, I would I would go back and watch it. I, I was a huge fan of the first season. Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson and just the, the storyline I thought was fantastic. Right? It gripped me the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, I was so excited for season two, and I, I can't tell you how disappointed I was with season two. Yeah. And my, my understanding was that the, the success of season one just put so much pressure on the show to get the next one out just so fast that they really just kind of rushed it to HBO. And, and it showed. Uh, apparently season three, I mean, it's been, gosh, I mean, I think it's been three and a half years, I want to say, since season two. And it really kind of took a step back to say, okay, well, you know, what was the, the excitement that it captured in, in season one and kind of how can we bring that back? And I will say season three has definitely some elements of, of season one. Uh, Mahershala, Mahershala Ali is the, is the lead, leading character in it, and he's fantastic. Um, it, it really, again, it feels very similar to, to season one. So if you're a fan of season one, definitely watch season three of True Detective. That's great because I, I loved season one. I couldn't even finish season two. But I have no clue what happened in season two. Yeah, I, 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 I still from, can't figure out what happened. I've heard that from everybody who's watched that, that season two has been it was, it was 
terrible compared to season one. So yeah. yeah, I'm glad to hear it got a little bit better in season three now. Oh, it's really good right now. Awesome. So yeah. Finale is tonight, so I'm, I'm looking oh. forward to watching it. Very nice. Awesome. Great recommendation. Thank you, Ryan. So uh, thank you all for tuning into this newest episode. We appreciate your listening to the show and subscribing to the podcast. As mentioned earlier, I'll mention it again. We're going to be giving links to Ryan's blog, Undersaved and Overweight. Uh, so definitely go there and subscribe. You can find our podcast on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. On Instagram, our name is Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page, which we encourage you to like. Our website is StuffWeLovePodcast.com. We have a new blog post up there today. A lot of good stuff going on there. You can write to us, StuffWeLovePodcast at gmail.com. And please continue to leave those good five-star reviews on iTunes. That not only makes us really happy to hear that you are enjoying the show, but it makes it easier for other people to find our podcast as well. So, uh, Ryan, I want to thank you again for joining us tonight. I really got a lot out of this. I know you did too, Joe, and uh, I'm yeah, sure all great. of our listeners will as well. Thanks, guys. So. Appreciate it. It's been fun. So thank you for tuning into the Stuff We Love podcast. I am Scott. I'm Joe. I'm Ryan. We'll see you soon.